welcome to Ethica America. I'm your co-host, Ryan. And I'm Aaron. And what are we going to be talking about today? Uh, we're going to be talking about parental advisory. Parental um, advisory. Yeah. All right, my thoughts on parental advisory. Um, my first thought is, why would we have to have parental advisory? Shouldn't we be able to kind of uh, uh, police ourselves and how we listen to things and what we listen to but I can, oh, I'd agree yeah but I can also see the other point of view of we don't know what is being broadcasted or recorded or played or you know what what people are listening to so if someone is in control or at least somewhat I mean putting a rating on to onto something isn't it's always like kind of sounds like, like a good idea just because you, otherwise you would have to sit through the entire song movie game just to see like what is what is actually the item about so with a parental right. advisory at least someone has deemed it and listened to it and has deemed it safe for certain audiences that way for example like i don't know a a movie uh, I mean, all movies have a rating system, and that way everyone kind of has a general idea of, oh, okay, this is this is safe for anyone under the age of, you know, 13. If it's PG-13, you know that it's okay for 13-year-olds and older. I mean, you oh, but yeah, you're also a parent, and if you can, if you think it's okay for your kids to listen to cuss words or swearing or i mean it also kind of even goes a little beyond just uh that rating system if it says pg-13 it says strong language or a nudity or something then you can also get a, an idea of what the rating is about and it's the same for video games i mean it will say strong language and sexual implicit whatever or of those natures which i think is a good idea that way yeah. you're at least aware of what's going on and you don't have to just guess on what's going on but yeah i mean i'd agree i mean like everything else you have to use a modicum of common sense with it but yeah as an example i don't want to watch half of the things that my kids want to watch yeah so i mean granted they're really young mm -hmm. and most of those things right now are daniel tiger but a decade from now i don't have a clue what music's going to be out there but i can guarantee you that i really don't want to listen to it yeah so having something that i can just kind of look at and say okay well this is probably fine it hedges that risk a little bit if you understand what i'm saying yeah um but like you know, that's if you're taking your okay. kids to a pg-13 movie and they say fuck i mean they're gonna say fuck they're gonna hear fuck and on the playground or at any point in time from just being in the grocery store or just existing in life. I mean, they're going to, I mean, every time I stub my toe, they're probably going to hear the word fuck. <laughs> and with that, we should probably advise you that this podcast may not be the best choice if to listen to, if you have small children around. Well, luckily um, our podcast <laughs> has a, uh, explicit material warning <laughs> so where did the parental idea come from the, the idea advisory. for having a parental advisory uh yeah advisory thing you know oh. that right yeah well maybe but first we're gonna have to go back into the time machine so oh, geez. just follow me yeah okay. Watch your are. step over there, though. Uh, I spilled some oil. It needed some of that magic time oil that you got to put in the gear case. Okay. And what, does, um, what sound does a time machine make? Um, I don't know. We, you know, we, <laughs> it's weird that you went to SpongeBob too, because I was thinking of Burbank Man and Barnacle Boy, and how they have that, like, um, you know, the whole uh, screen is spinning, and it's like, oh yeah, something like that. That's that's what uh, I assume a uh, a time machine sounds like. Oh, but, it's also uh, kind of think of the TARDIS where it goes, where it makes that whooshing noise, which I oh, can't that's mimic. fair. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't it be funny if it was more just like a uh, dimmer oven 
or a uh, an egg timer where it's just ding. That's yeah. it. <laughs> so you know that 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 time oil and the uh, amount of sound, uh, that amount of acoustic insulation that we have to pack in there. I mean, it really really takes a lot of that noise right out. Yeah. So some of this is being edited out because my baby is oh, being yeah. noisy. But yeah, I'll well, save some I mean, of this, some of the time machine yeah. talk. Yeah. So anyhow, um, I'm just gonna assume that the time machine makes a ding. So ding. So we've just arrived in uh, 1985, Aaron. So 1985. Um, that was uh, a year before I was born. Oh, was it? Hmm. So what do you remember about you know, around that time? I remember the earliest memory I have is of uh, 93, and I was looking at the calendar in preschool or something like that. So like, yeah, I guess seven it was years. before 93 because I was... You were in preschool and so at, at the age of seven and 93? No. <laughs> and you were looking at a calendar and that was your first memory? Apparently my memory is off because I I don't remember <laughs> the year, I guess. But I do remember looking at a calendar in preschool or kindergarten and going, oh, wow, there's a calendar. But other than yeah. that, I don't really remember much. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, so, I remember yeah. in elementary school where my uh my favorite band was green day and we, my friends and i listened to dookie and it had a parental advisory on it no no it's actually a pretty good segue yeah so do you, so uh do you know why uh why that parental advisory sticker uh how that ended up on uh that dookie album uh probably because the album's named dookie which is just poop yeah, that's a good point. That's all you needed was just to read that word. To how how redundant would that be? Like the word is dookie or dookie. It's right there on the cover, and then they're like, "Oh, parental advisory right underneath." You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it's like you just read the word, and they're like, "Oh, afterwards we will caution you on this." See what I'm saying? I mean, that's pretty much uh, probably the only reason why it's on there because Green Day is known for their. Uh, family-friendly lyrics. Oh, man. They're known for their Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But no, I don't yeah. know how it got there. Well, I do know. Yeah. But you can go ahead and just tell the yeah. audience. Yeah. Um. So, as we mentioned, ding! We're in 1985 now, specifically May 13th of 1985. And on this day, the Parents Music Resource Center was created. This public interest group was co-founded by four women who had some pretty heavy political ties. So you had uh, Susan Baker, who was the wife of uh, Treasury Secretary James Baker. Pam Hauer, the wife of a heavily connected Washington, D.C. realtor named Raymond Hauer. Sally Nevius, who was the wife of a former Washington, D.C. City Council chairman, uh, named John Nevius. And then last but not least, Tipper Gore, wife of then-Senator Al Gore, who was later to be vice president and uh, one of the Democratic presidential nominees after that. Um, so these women would later be known as the Washington wives. Um, but they also had some pretty significant financial backers. So... Mike Love from the Beach Boys, who has a net worth of roughly $80 million currently, um, and Joseph Coors, uh, who's the owner of Coors Beer, or who was the owner of Coors Beer at the time. But anyhow, so both of these guys were pretty Im heavily involved in uh, Reagan's candidacy and getting him into office. So you can kind of get the vibe of who these people are um, relatively quickly if you really start to dissect the financial backing along with um, who these, these four women are. But uh, anyhow, in a statement from the PMRC, um, which is just the acronym for the Parents Music Resource Center, their primary purpose was to educate and inform parents about the alarming trend in music towards lyrics that are sexually explicit, excessively violent, or glorify the use of drugs and alcohol as well as to ask the industry to exercise some quote-unquote self-restraint. 
which inherently that's not a terrible thing, right? So, no, it doesn't. I seem mean, like a once again, it, yeah. Uh, it seems if you like bear, a good idea. yeah, it's it's really not a, a terrible idea, but you got to bear in mind that this is their stated primary purpose, and just like every presidential candidate who's ever been in a, a you know, ever been elected into you know, the presidency, um, they'll tell you one thing, but then their actions and their um, motives completely lead to something separate, if you know what I'm saying. Right. So yeah. that there is always so, uh, some sort of motive around someone's actions. Right. I assume. Well, I mean, well, if not, we have a lot of absent-minded people just wandering around the world. Just oh, got a booger to pick here today. Right. I mean, there's there's a reason for everything. I mean, mm -hmm. I assume. I mean, but like people aren't just making choices and decisions all willy-nilly. Like, I mean, they might have a. There's always some sort of reason, though. Either it, it, whether it be good, bad, or just boredom. Yeah, yeah. I mean, without a doubt. So, but uh, a lot of these people, they go in there with good intentions, but like the road to hell is paved with good intentions, if you understand what I'm saying. Like, so their their idea here isn't bad, but this is their stated primary purpose. Um, but like I said before, their actions and demands tended to be a little bit more aggressive than this. So their reach often extended well past just music, and their reasoning for all these things was always a little bit of a leap. So one of my favorite examples is the statement made by Susan Baker, where she implied that the rise of teen pregnancies, rape, and suicide were a direct result of the media that children were consuming, which, like, that's just hilarious to me. Like, don't get me wrong. I understand that there need to be some restrictions there, but to say that music is causing rape that's just taking um i mean it makes the accountability sense. i mean <laughs> someone's great guitar licks are just obviously hypnotizing people to go out and do bad things i mean that that totally makes sense there and that tracks i mean when you think about eddie van halen the first thing that i think about is oh man i've got to burn this village down so i mean i mean whenever i think of the song Freebird, I think of Rape and Pillage. Whatever that song is about, it's definitely actually about it's raping a, and pillaging. I mean, it's about a bird, from what I understand. And it and it's free, and you can't change the bird, which is a little bit awkward, because I was going to turn it into a giraffe, but then they're like, oh, I am this bird, you cannot change. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, like, whoa, whoa. whoa. I was going to put it to change this bird. Yeah, yeah, and uh, then they just keep saying that over and over again, like I didn't get the point the first time, which, yeah, I probably didn't, because I still wanted it to be a draft, but I'm not even sure we're talking about the same bird, really, when you think about it, like, like, because I was talking about a crow, and nobody cares about crows, crows, though, are very intelligent, they were probably talking about, like, a seagull or a pigeon or something like that. And blackbirds so. sing in the dead of night. yeah. I, God, a lot of bird I never remember the lyrics. Yeah, I know. And I never remember the lyrics to that specific one, so that doesn't help. Blackbird singing in um, the dead of night. Spread yeah. your wings and learn to fly. Something fly, about oh the my. blackbird. The blackbird's only waiting for its moment to fly free. Is that right? Yeah, maybe it is the same bird because it's about freeing. Maybe free bird yeah. is about that same bird. Yeah, yeah, and since it's a black bird, maybe the song Black Betty is about that same bird, too. Whoa, Black Betty. bam lam <laughs> So, anyhow, so this woman, um, she had a... Uh, basically, she made a lot of illogical leaps there. I, I mean, I understand where she was coming from. And you got to keep in mind, I guess it's important to understand what was going on in 1985 when the group was founded. So MTV had started like four years prior to that and was main, it was just this mainstream cable sensation. VH1, which was another popular cable music channel at the time, had just came out. Pop music had changed drastically from what it was in the 70s, and rock music had 
started to become a little bit edgier and often ignored societal taboos. Cartoons such as the Thundercats had freshly been released, depicting a far more violent and sinister nature than their Looney Tunes predecessors. And a new form of music called rap was coming out onto the scene, which, I mean, it wasn't that edgy, really, but things were changing from how they were in the 70s. Um, Just like a Thundercats, they're all wearing, like, Speedos. Yeah, 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 and showing off their muscular physiques while we're over here walk, you know, just rocking our dad guts. I mean, whatever. The... When I see Jatara, I immediately think of, man, I really need to find something to set aside this urge. Yeah, I I know what you mean, and and when I see them, I just lament it the fact that they have so much hair and I have none. And I wonder if they'd be willing to share. But I I sent them an email and they said no. Um, which was awkward. You, you emailed the Thundercats? Yeah, I emailed them at thundercats at gmail.com. Now, I don't know if that's their <laughs> official email, but I'm assuming that they got the... Uh, I'm assuming that they got the message. Yeah. And they, I, I got a read receipt from it. So that was really the important thing there. It is. Uh, so my point is that things were changing quite a bit there. So it's it's understandable that oh I don't know the right words, but it's understandable to have a little bit of apprehension. I guess is all I'm trying to say, especially when you're used to like you know the soothing sounds of the Beatles or you know Led Zeppelin or you know whatever is on the radio. I mean, even before this, there was Elvis and how he was kind of like not allowed to dance or he was and he recorded. wasn't allowed to be yeah he wasn't allowed to be recorded from the waist down because it might give women some very sketchy ideas so and even then yeah you're absolutely right it's very similar to that there was a lot of pushback there um and i i always feel like our society in general has these moments where you have some people who are all for something and then other people who are uh pushing back against these ideas to try to keep what they seem to think are more traditional norms. Like, before the 1920s, nobody even remembers, even though historically, like, we were all just a bunch of drug addicts who were just trying to get by from day to day with no real idea of what we were doing. And I, I'm still convinced that we have no clue what we're doing now, but... No. We, I have a feeling no one knows what we're doing. They kind of just no take one. it day by day and Whoever offers the most money, they get with that decision. Yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, that's perfectly fine. I mean, you got to take care of you first and foremost. Um, but when things change like that, some people get a little bit, they get a little bit upset about it and, or uncomfortable and they decide we're not going to take it anymore. And that's that. And that's exactly what the PMRC did. So, they put a lot of pressure on Hollywood and record labels in an attempt to get them to uh, get them to put warning labels on certain music. Now, that in itself, like we established, that's not such a bad thing. That's not that's not unethical in any sort of way. It's basically, hey, you might not enjoy this. You might not enjoy listening to this, but here's this board over here, and these are the ground rules that they laid out for for our kids and stuff like that um these are the things that we don't that we think that you should be aware of and we put a sticker on here to let you know hey maybe it's not okay for your kids to listen to that like that's totally fine like while i enjoy listening to blink 180s twos uh i want to fuck a dog in the ass because it reminds me of the 1200 mile round trip i took from college to see him live on the east coast i wouldn't necessarily want my toddlers to be listening to that you know what i'm saying like have, I, having yeah. some sort of identifying label on it, it's helpful as a parent. So I can say, okay, I'll take a listen to it first. But, you know, ultimately, the warning label was kind of just the first part of their plan. Yeah, the warning uh, label is like a guideline of like, hey, uh, be wary of this if you're, yeah, uh, it's, if you have it's the sign. Views. Yeah, it's the sign that if you go into uh, like McDonald's um, and you see, Hey, the floor is wet. 
That's that's all it is. It's just a cautionary thing. It's up to you as a parent to decide what your kids should and should not be listening to. Though ultimately now it's getting harder and harder to do that. What with you know uh, streaming media, media, particularly you know from um, live streams and uh, well. The, you're not supposed to be on Twitch or YouTube unless you're 13 and older. Oh, well, that's cool. Yeah. Um, can I ask you why? Like, I pop on YouTube sometimes, and there's content for kids on there. Then, like, um, like, well, there, there like there's is kids a, shows on there. There is a kids YouTube, and oh, you should be. Able do to I have to be 13? Yeah. Oh, I have to be 13 to be on kids YouTube too. I don't know, but I do know that there is a kid's YouTube for uh, younger than 13, and then for over the 13, you you kind of assume that all that stuff is for adults, but YouTube has recently, not recently, probably like two years ago, three years ago, where they kind of um, made this change. Oh, I remember this. Yeah, they were- they, So they that way digital marketers couldn't- yeah, so digital marketers couldn't target kids directly. Yeah. Right. yeah. And they were also gathering yeah. information on kids, and that was a big no-no. <laughs> and Well, yeah. I would say anybody who's gathering information on kids, they can snog off pretty quick. Like, yeah. you, you know what I mean? And I understand that they're not using it necessarily maliciously. They're just using it with the intent of selling them a product or right. really, really getting them to become the salesman to their parents to... Yeah. you know to purchase a product because at three or four years old you really want a toy chances are you're not like delivering mail or newspapers or landscaping you're probably just doing typical toddler things and we're lucky if we don't have an accident once a month right so and if you're a youtube content creator you also have metrics of like oh okay people are you know your demographic i mean if if you're a youtube youtuber and you're making content that's like pokemon or minecraft or fortnite you know that people yeah. are probably watching it that aren't 13 and older i mean you're right just kind of yeah every everybody has their own niche when you know when creating content like ours obviously isn't for like children really i mean and i don't pretend to be hip and get along with <laughs> practically anybody so like just like the creator of a kid's show that only has like a green screen and really good at animation puts their stuff up on YouTube for a specific um, for a specific clientele or demographic, you know, every, everybody else has their niche as well. So, I mean, that completely tracks. Right. But people right. also, if you're a YouTube content creator, you kind of, if you know your demographic, you know that you should be family friendly or not. And right. people are aware of that. And I, I forget exactly what has happened with YouTube with, you know, children watching stuff and then your show or your episode or anything could be flagged as not child friendly. Then I forget what's all coming out with that. But I think yeah. something along the Well, it's ever a vault. Well, it's constantly evolving too. You got to remember that. As I mentioned, the I, the idea of having a warning label there on uh, on music, it's really not such a bad idea. You, you create content for for a specific demographic, and as a parent, having a warning label there that's kind of like for the wet floor that we were talking about. That's really not such a bad idea. But that was ultimately more just kind of the first part of their plan. So if the PMRC had it their way, explicit lyrics in music they just wouldn't be allowed period neither would extreme violence on television nor blood and video games pmrc also wanted the music with explicit lyrics to be put behind counters so as not to be displayed to children um cable tv stations playing music videos should not be allowed to air even censored versions of such lewd songs artists that continue down this path of using explicit lyrics particularly in concerts should have their contracts mandatorily reevaluated as part of the uh, industry showing quote unquote self restraint. And a government panel should be created to create and enforce these industry standards. So, 
basically we're talking about a form of mild government censorship at that point. Maybe not even so mild. Maybe it's just a form of government censorship, if you understand what I'm saying. Which, that's drastically different than putting up a label that says, hey, don't step here. The floor's wet. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're shutting down McDonald's because they have a wet floor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Pretty much. Um, so I'm not going to get into all the tactics that the PMRC used, uh, but suffice it to say that this group had plenty of connections and they lobbied pretty hard. Um, so one of their tactics was to gain the support of parent-teacher organizations and basically use them as subgroups to help support their political agenda. So instead of attempting to gain the support of one person at a time, they just focused on getting maybe these groups of like 30 or 40 people um, that were already pre-existing. Keep that in mind. Just getting them on board, to, you know, getting them irate and mad. They'd often point these PTAs to this curated list of 15 popular songs currently being played on the radio at the time that they would refer to as the quote-unquote filthy 15. And they would use this to get these groups all sorts of riled up. This particular tactic worked surprisingly well and led to just an immense amount of support for their cause. And within the year, they'd leverage this and their growing support uh, along with those political ties in Washington that they have to put a bunch of pressure on record labels to change their tune. So now we've hit August of 1985, and most of the major record labels basically said, we're probably fine with putting a warning label on this, but we want a congressional hearing in regards to what happens when that album gets that label slapped on it. So the PMRC agrees, and a congressional hearing set the start in September of the same year. And that's kind of incredible when you think about it. So they started their, they started all this in, on May 13th, and by August, which, you know, June, July, August, three months from then, they already had a, a congressional hearing scheduled for this, which is... I mean, historically, it often took years for public interest groups to really rally up enough support for a congressional hearing, and it took them no time at all. So, from the time it was getting founded. I mean, think about it. It's 1985. The internet was created in 1983, but most people didn't even know how to use a computer at that time. Social media certainly wasn't a thing. The primary forms of getting the word out there were like newspapers along with the TV and radio industry who had every reason to oppose this message. I mean, it's kind of incredible but these also were for very for women with some very heavy political ties as well but as a direct result of how much traction this group got in such a short amount of time along with their goal with what their goal would mean for the media industry this congressional hearing got a lot of national media attention and it went from september all the way through november of that year now, something that's really interesting about this was that there were three artists who kind of teamed up to protest against the censorship. So do you remember that list of the Filthy 15 that we talked earlier about, Aaron? Yeah, I'm aware of that list. Yeah, so now's probably a good time to, to go over that list. So do you want to kick it off and uh, read, uh, read any of those? Yeah, we got us? We got Prince with uh, Darling Nikki, and the lyrical content is about sex and masturbating. And we got Sheena Easton with uh, Sugar Walls, right? Sugar, yeah, Sugar Walls. And Judas yeah. Priest with Eat Me Alive. And Vanity, song titled Strap On, Robbie Baby. Then we got Motley Crue with Bastard, ACDC, Let Me Put My Love Into You, Twisted Sister, We're Not Gonna Take It, Madonna, Dress You Up. WASP, Animal, Fuck You Like a Beast, Death Leopard, <laughs> High and Dry, or, or uh, parentheses Saturday Night, Merciful Fate, Into the Coven, Black Sabbath, Trash, Mary Jane Girls, In My House, Venom, Possessed, and was it Cindy Lauper, Shebop, and there's a lot of, uh, all those have basically sex, violence, suggested language drug and alcohol use apparently you don't necessarily want your kid hearing those things so like i said a, a warning label that that's certain that's certainly fine we can live with a warning label 
Um, yeah, warning labels to tell kids or parents that maybe uh, this content is not suitable for kids is fine. Right. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. So, but ultimately, they that's not what they wanted. They wanted to go back to more traditional, if you can even call it traditional, because tradition seems to change about every 30 to 40 years. But they wanted to go back to what they felt were more traditional standards. Um conservative so, traditional values well, i wouldn't even say necessarily conservative so i mean keep in mind that al gore was a democrat right and this is tipper gore being part of this group so i wouldn't say it's necessarily traditional since democrats tend to side on the side of progress whereas conservatives do you, you see what i'm saying right they just you can be a democrat conservative but you can you also be a liberal republican yeah Precisely. So, as I mentioned, there were three well-known artists who came together to testify against the censorship. And uh, the unlikely trio consisted of Frank Zappa, John Denver, and the lead singer of the hit Twisted Sister song, We're Not Gonna Take It, which appeared on that list that we read off earlier, uh, Dee Snyder. And it's kind of wild. I'm going to send you a picture of Dee Snyder and Frank Zappa just standing next to each other real quick. It's an absolute, it's just, the contrast is just wild. So, um, for those of you who can't see, here's the lead singer of an 80s hair band in a denim vest, sunglasses, and all the hair you'd expect, uh, standing right next to Frank Zappa, who's just, he looks pretty well-groomed and in a suit and tie and everything. And then you throw folk singer John Denver into that mix, and it's just, it's just such a hodgepodge of musicians that it's almost comical. When but I, yeah, all... when I first saw this f picture, I'm like, "Oh, look at that '80s hair band member next to his lawyer." Yeah, right. Yeah, that's 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 exactly what it looks like. It looks like he just got out of jail, and this is his, uh, you know, release paper because he's innocent. You know what I mean? Right. But it's actually Frank Zappa. It's just it's my it's just weird, man. It's so cool, but it's just weird. So anyhow, so they they all came up to to speak during this congressional hearing, which I'm not going to go too much into the congressional hearing, but I will read off a few quotes and uh, viewpoints. So the PMRC's viewpoint is best described by Tipper Gore in her 1987 book called Raising PG Kids in an X-Rated Society, which I, I'm, I'm curious about, but I, I'm never going to read that. Um, but in it, she says, as parents and consumers we have the right and power to pressure the entertainment industry to respond to our needs. Americans, after all, should insist that every corporate giant, whether it produces chemicals or records, accept responsibility for what it produces. So, thinking about that statement, I'm pretty sure that, like, the company that makes rat poison accepts the responsibility for producing rat poison. You know what I mean? Just the same as a musician accepts the words that they're putting out there, the media that they're putting out there. You know what I mean? Like, right. this is not unexpected. It should be up to the consumer to choose, hey, do you want to use rat poison to kill a rat, or do you want to use a mousetrap or something more humane? So, or those lyricals of Motley Crue, because apparently Motley Crue can murder rats now if it's causing rape. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is kind I mean, of uh, weird that your music needs to take, how should I say this? Music needs to take accountability for doing harm to people. But right. how, do you, how do you prove that music is causing people I mean, they, to do harm? Believe it or not, there were studies done, but most of those studies were also paid for by this group. So, like, you know. It, so that sounds it's, ethical. Uh, yeah, I know, right? It's definitely unbiased. So, and Yeah. I mean, it, less here um, than with video games, which we'll get into later. Um, but there was definitely some of that here as well. Um, so now in addition to that filthy 15 that the PMRC was so fond of using, Tipper Gore had actually began to single out another song called Under the Blade by Twisted Sister stating it was, quote-unquote, encouraging sadomasochism, bondage, and rape. So Dee Snyder, who, you know, lead singer of Twisted Sister, he felt personally attacked by this because his lyrics had now been misrepresented twice by, uh, by Tipper Gore. 
But in his brief but to the point testimony, he stated Miss Gore. He, I'm sorry. He stated Miss Gore claimed that one of my songs, "Under the Blade," had lyrics encouraging sadomasochism, bondage, and rape. The lyrics she quoted have absolutely nothing to do with these topics. On the contrary, the words in question are about surgery and the fear that it instills in people. I can categorically say that the only sadomasochism, bondage, and rape in this song is in the mind of Miss Tipper Gore. So, and that's, um, I mean, music yeah. does have a way to portray different thoughts into people, and it's kind of hard well, it's, to. It's reader response theory. So the idea that once you put a piece of work out there into the universe, that it's now up to the reader, or in this case, the listener, to interpret what that means to them. And then the idea there is that the song takes on an entirely different meaning to them, even though the original intention could have been whatever. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, that makes sense. It's the same yeah. with art. I mean, when you look at an oh, art yeah. piece, you'll go, oh, wow, that's really great. And get right. emotions and feelings. And someone else is like, that's dumb. Yeah, yeah. That's a dot on a whiteboard. <laughs> you call that abstract? But the synergy and the brush strokes. I mean, he used I... a single piece of hair to make that dot. That explains why it's so tiny. I don't get it, but you know, you do you. I mean, whenever I see Campbell soup bar, I just think, man, I really need a grilled cheese sandwich and soup. <laughs> yeah, I I never understood that, but it's, it's I don't know. You know, it's just not for us, maybe. Well, it's definitely not for me. So. Um, but I like cool art, so, <laughs> so other memorable quotes, uh, from this congressional hearing, uh, were, uh, well, Frank Zappa as an example, he said, if it looks like censorship and it smells like censorship, it is censorship, no matter whose wife is talking about it. Also stating the methods that the PMRC provo proposed have several unfortunate side effects, not the least of which is the reduction of all American music recorded and live to the intellectual level of a Saturday morning cartoon show. If, as a parent, you believe children should be exposed to something more uplifting than sugar walls, support music appreciation programs in your own school, which, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. But my favorite one came from uh, John Denver, who said, uh, my song Rocky Mountain High was banned from many radio stations as a drug-related song. This was obviously done by people who had never seen or been to the Rocky Mountains and also never experienced the elation celebration of life or the joy in living that one feels when he observes something as wondrous as the Perseids meeting sh meteor shower on a moonless, cloudless night. Obviously, it's a clear case of misinterpretation. So, Mr. Chairman, I ask you, what assurance do I have, if any, that any national panel to review my music would make any better judgment? So, and Dee Snyder even commented on that specific uh, uh, quote during that. He's like, you got to give it to John Denver. His testimony was one of the most scathing because they fully expected, I mean, he was such a mom's, American Pie, John Denver Christmas special, fresh scrub type of guy that he would be on the side of censorship when he brought up, I liken this to the Nazi book burnings you should have seen him start running for the hills his testimony was just really powerful in a lot of ways anyhow, so the on November 1st the committee ended and the congressional hearing ended and the music industry gave in to the demand that they would put a parental advisory label on music, which, I mean, that seems reasonable. But yeah, that um, seems fine. We, we established that the outcome of this... Yeah, because you have the right to listen to whatever you want, and there's a, there's a warning on it, just like yeah. Uh, yeah. movies, well, maybe, I guess, but that's just the same rating system. You have the, yeah. <laughs> you have the right to listen and watch whatever you want. I mean, if Well, it's... you have yellow traffic signs, right? And the yellow traffic signs are like, hey, there's a curb up ahead. We'd recommend taking a speed of 35. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you have to go 35. That's right. just their, you know, that's just their... It, advisory yeah. for that for that for that specific curve 
that's how you would think that these parental advisory stickers would work. Is hey, well, you know, we wouldn't necessarily uh, want our kids listening to this, and we we think most people can agree, but you know, maybe you have a different way of parenting, and that's that's totally fine. Yeah, but you're right as a person to uh, parent however you want to allow your kids to watch and listen to whatever they want. So it's fine. You have that yeah. right and that freedom. We're not. Yeah. We're not going to try and take away your freedom. Um, right. We're just going to just give you a warning to yeah. be on the lookout. Yeah. Yeah. Just there's a curve coming up. So just, you know, just take some caution. That's all we're saying. So um, so that was the outcome of this uh, whole meeting on the parental advisory and, and music that every 90s kid can remember seeing clear as day on every cd that they bought growing up Mm -hmm. but there were other outcomes of that too um most of them being almost kind of comical when you think about them so one major problem was a general lack of standardization of when that label came out how the label was to be placed on the album so oftentimes it was just a sticker that could be easily peeled off of the cd case from the uh you know, front cover, and then just ignored for the rest of your life. You might have a little bit of sticker residue there, but it's just gone at that point. Um, but even like uh, George Carlin, he named one of his albums, I think it was uh, Parental Advisory um, Explicit Lyrics. I think that's what he named one of his albums, but it's just huge and covers almost the entire album, mm-hmm. which he was making fun of it because it was you know the whole the whole thing is i mean he's a comedian what do you expect yeah but um but the bigger problem aside from the lack of standardization was that the label actually helped artists to sell even more content so teens thought the label was cool and thought the contents inside were edgier and this this entire thing just almost became a joke overnight t-shirts were being sold with that sticker of parental advisory explicit lyrics on it. Like mm. it ultimately for the PMC, the PMRC, they just took this as a giant slap in the face because they got their sticker. Don't get me wrong, but the outcome is that the music industry is doing even better and apparently comedians too. But um, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, there's always like a thrill of when you're under the age of, being allowed into an R-rated movie and you sneak into right. it and you go watch some horror film. I mean, there's nothing inherently wrong from watching a horror film. It's just there to no. try and protect you from nightmares, which is fine. Kids don't find anything cool if they're not supposed to be listening to it. Yeah, I mean, that's what... I mean, or when I was a teenager, it wouldn't necessarily matter if it had a sticker on it or not, but mm-hmm. I knew what I knew what I was supposed to be doing and what I wasn't supposed to be doing. And oftentimes I just thought I was cool because I was going to, you you get that sense of ownership of your own mentality at a certain point. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's where a lot of it comes from is it's, it's almost suppressed growing up where you're just kind of told what to do. And then eventually you realize, Oh, I can actually do things that I wasn't told what to do. Yeah. And that's where that sense of rebellion comes from. I mean, the thing about laws and rules is, no one's physically stopping you from doing it. You can just go do it. Yeah. And there's freedom. I mean, <laughs> I mean, and I do that all the time. If I see a traffic light going from uh, yellow to red. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying every time, but I'll floor it sometimes if I'm in a hurry. Yeah. I mean, if I think I have enough time to go through that yellow light and it turns red, I hit through a red light. Oh, well. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, there are still other boundaries that I dare not touch. Like, I'm not going to go out there with a gun and just start, like, shooting in my neighborhood or something like right. that. You know what I mean? Like, there are certain ones where it's like, okay, am I am I causing harm to somebody else? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or is this just kind of a, eh, it's is, probably is this... annoying for the guy turning right, but he's going to be fine. Is it impeding you know on I mean? just my freedom, or is my action impeding on someone else's freedom yeah so precisely I, that yeah if i'm running a red light and there's a bunch of people going through it because they have a green light it's bad because yeah i'm impeding on someone else's freedom if the you're the asshole yeah if i'm going through a yellow light and it turns red and no one's coming i mean that was my choice the best 
I can hope for is there's not a police officer around that's going to pull me over for running through a red light. But Right, because if there's a police officer around who's not going to pull you over for mm-hmm. running a red light, then that's still fine. Yeah, so, it's kind of like yeah. this uh, this idea of drunk driving, where mm-hmm. if you're drunk driving on a deserted road and no one's around, then you hit a telephone pole. I mean, that you're only affecting yourself. But if you're... And the telephone pole. Do you know yeah. how much it costs to put a telephone pole on the ground, by the way? Because it's, like, ridiculous. It's probably a lot. It's a lot, yeah. So maybe that's not the best example given the cost, but the point is that the telephone pole right. is fine in this instance. So. Yeah, and and yeah. but if there happens to be a person that's crossing the road, then there's there's this factor of, like, luck. It, it you could just be unlucky that there might have been a person crossing the street at that particular oh. time. Well, nobody who's drunk driving wants, well, I shouldn't say nobody, but most people who are drunk driving don't want to harm anybody else. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, they just, they just want to get from point, yeah, more more times than not. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I'm not saying that that's like okay yeah. or anything like that, but. I am just saying that, like, there's no malicious intent there. Yeah, so but speak. but the actual act of drinking and driving, I mean, people can agree. Yeah, you shouldn't be drinking and driving. That's that's yeah. the idea. But the idea of there are different consequences and cause and effects from drinking and driving. Whether or not you're you hurt someone, you make it there safely, or um, you only hurt yourself. I mean, there's different well, consequences. And most, and most people that I know, like, most people I know have done that at some point where they've had, like, just one too many, and they're like, oh, shit, you know, and they just they just keep going anyways. Like, it only takes up... I mean, I, I'm not saying that that makes it okay. Like, I, I've done it before, mm-hmm. and, like, that's not... That's not chill. Uh, nobody should be doing that don't think that I'm defending that stance, but yeah. what I'm saying is that it does happen. Mm-hmm. And most people I know have done it once. I, you know, I've never been drunk, I mean, so I don't, I don't know. <laughs> that one's just weird to me, dude, because like I've been drunk so many times in my life. Like most of the time, just, you know, sleep it off. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's dwindled down in the past five years, but like, I've been drunk so many times to where I couldn't walk. Like, mm-hmm. stupid, man. So the fact that you've never been drunk is just, it's mind-blowing <laughs> to me. Like, I don't know. But there are weird uh, laws. There are weird laws. And we'll have to do an episode on some of those weird laws sometimes because some of those are actually pretty funny. <laughs> so True. I mean, yeah. eh, there's a, just this, this idea of our laws even ethical as is. That's for another day, because I mean, a lot of people might just, I mean, this is a little bit of a segue, but a lot of people might be like, you know, laws are not ethical. I should just be able to do whatever I want. In the most case, you can. I mean, you just have to accept the consequences. And I say that a lot because in existentialism, there's a lot of like, you have the freedom to do whatever you want. If you want to go punch your boss in the face because he's an asshole, you can go do it. There's nothing physically stopping you other than yourself. You just right. have to accept the consequences of what's going to happen when I do punch my boss in the face. You don't get fired a lot. <laughs> I mean, and so, same with like damn. drinking and driving or listening to explicit material and yeah. or letting your kid listening to um, Freebird and Twisted Sister. And then allowing them to uh, apparently just be murder hobos. Exactly. So as a direct result of this. Yeah. Because there is a cause and effect of when I listen to music, it is going to cause me to do something that is out of my control. It's going to physically make me do this thing. Yeah. I just get so angry. You know, and then there are other people who just get so angry that uh, they just have to go into the middle of the woods and dance for hours, apparently. That's probably a thing. It's the plot to the movie Footloose. Oh. Yeah, dancing is outlawed in his town, but it's the only thing Kevin Bacon can get into (laughs) to release his rage. Oh, my. Oh, yeah, it's a really... 
I never really watched more than like 20 minutes of it, but it's a really dumb plot and yet it's like a cult classic. So I feel like I should like probably revisit it at some point. But then I think about the plot and I'm like, this is just fucking dumb. Like I can't do this. I mean, I thought the movie Pulp Fiction was dumb and I hated it. So, oh man, I like Pulp Fiction though, so, yeah. but I only like snippets of it. Like there's only like, you know, like I don't like the whole thing, but like there's moments with Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta where mm-hmm. like it's just kind of comical. And I just kind of look at it like a skit show almost, but yeah. the skits are kind of like, you know, so you like certain parts of it, but maybe not all of it. Yeah. So Reservoir Dogs, on the other hand, couldn't fucking stand Reservoir Dogs. So love Steve Buscemi, but couldn't fucking stand that movie. And I can't stand a lot of music, so I just think music is dumb yeah yeah i can't stand that rap actually i can stand pretty much a little bit of everything yeah. but i can <sighs> i mean to uh quantify not quantify but to uh elaborate yeah to like i don't know define what music i like to listen to is very difficult because i can be like yeah i like i like some rap but there's also rap that i just do not like there's some country i like and but there's other country that i despise i mean there's some rock that i like and there's some rock that i utterly hate i completely agree yeah like two chain not my thing love tupac though yeah so yeah they both have two in the name so i think they're probably the same person because tupac went missing and he had to come back as something right exactly a two chain now no longer the pock but like you, you get my point like it's still up to the individual to make decisions to you know based on what they like yeah so or or what's appropriate for them depending on on the circumstance things are complicated but like everything that's that's what i hear anyhow so so ultimately with this basically it's just yeah, throw a sticker on it, sort of mentality. The PMRC took this as, um, they they just ultimately took it as a slap in the face. Mm-hmm. So while they may have gotten their label put on that media, most albums at the time had this label. So it's like, if 90% of the albums out there have this label on it, and they have a censored and uncensored version where, you know, they just bleep out the, you know, the swear words or whatever, but the content is still relatively the same, then they didn't really win anything. Um, So they eventually started to shift their focus to other forms of media. All right. Well, maybe we should wrap it up from there and then we can discuss uh, part two. Thanks for listening this week, folks. Stay tuned next week where we find out how these women shifted their focus from trying to control our digital music experience into trying to control certain aspects of our digital lives as well. Yeah, and if you enjoyed this episode, you can listen to our other episodes wherever you found this episode. Also, if you like supporting the channel, you can tell your friends, and you can check out our Patreon.